Hello again, friends, and welcome to another episode of Real Talks. My name is David Steele. I'm joined by my co-host. Hello, Aura Zen. And just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Real Talks. That's R-E-E-L Talks. Just like my name, S-T-E-E-L-E. Also, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at Wannabe Rounder, LinkedIn, and on Instagram at DCaduto. Where can they find you? I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram, and in both of them, you can find me under my name, E-L-O-A-O-R-A-Z-E-M. Very easy. Just a couple of quick announcements. Our Patreon channel recently just went live. You can find it by typing Real Talks into the search bar. Let me tell you a little about it. We're offering five different levels to support us at $5, $10, and $40. If you do choose to support us, you'll have the opportunity to get some great perks, such as earning your name shouted out before every podcast, cool merch, and if you're one of our major contributors, you'll get a one-hour monthly meeting with Ilva and myself. For more details, just go to the website. I'll leave the link in the description. Which leads me to my next major announcement. We're only one short week away from our introduction of Flashback Fridays where my co-host, Cargard, and myself will be discussing films for the past. The first film we'll be talking about is Iron Man, and then we're going to be doing every single MCU movie in chronological order. I can't reiterate enough. Hit that follow button so you never miss a podcast. So today is our blockbuster preview, where we will be talking about some of the films we're looking forward to in the coming months. To help us talk about that, we're joined by a very special guest, He's a film-obsessed writer located in San Antonio, Texas, and was raised on musicals, westerns, and James Bond. But his taste in movies runs the gamut. He's a verified critic on Rotten Tomatoes, writing reviews for such films as No Time to Die, The Batman, and just as recently as last week, the new Robert Eggers film, The Northman. He's the executive editor at awardswatch.com that has a newly revamped podcast, which I'll let him tell you about in a minute, not to mention, he's a managing editor at InSessionFilm.com. He's a co-host of the Extra Film Podcast as well as the Acting Out Podcast. In his free time when he's not watching movies, he's rooting on his favorite sports teams, including his beloved Texas Longhorns. I'm happy to welcome Ryan McQuaid into the podcast. Hello, Ryan. How are you? Good. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This is fantastic. Thank you. Very honored to be here. So where can people find you on social media? Well, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and on Letterboxd at Ryan McQuaid 77 Fantastic. And I know I just made mention of the awards podcast that just got revamped. Tell us about it. Well, it's uh, the Awards Watch brand is, is such a, a giant brand. And as executive editor, I was brought on to sort of bring some new ideas to this huge platform. And one of those was to introduce a weekly podcast. So I, I basically recruited some of the best people I thought, in, including Dan Baer and Josh Parham and Nicole Ackman and Sophia Simonello and Kevin Lee and Tyler Doster and, and yes, even Eric Anderson himself. And we're going to talk about news and reviews and listener questions and all these different things that you normally hear on that. But then we are going to do a lot of different things as well, because if you know the vibe of, of Eric Anderson and Awards Watch, it's a very playful, fun vibe. So we're going to have tons of weekly different games and 
and, and opportunities for, for us to just do more than just a traditional movie Oscar podcast. We're going to talk about the Emmys. We're going to talk about the Grammys. We're going to talk about the Tonys. We're going to talk about everything awards possible while also trying to make it fun for all of our listeners. So it's a revamped model, and those episodes will be released every Monday starting on May 2nd. Fantastic. Now, I know CinemaCon is just kicking off this week. Are you going to be going to CinemaCon or? No, no. I, I like to see movies, not trailers. <laughs> so <laughs> I like to see. I, I know that that seems uh, mean to all of our friends out there that like to go to CinemaCon, but I'm much more I've, I'm much more interested in, in seeing the whole movie and, and judging it off of of those of those merits rather than getting teased uh you know it, for you know extended conference experiences at a time if i want to sit through a powerpoint i'll i'll make one myself i guess <laughs> now i know you i for our listeners i know you quickly just reviewed the northman i have not yet seen it yet how did you like it i think it's a very good film i i don't think it's probably my favorite robert eggers film i still think that that is the witch i think that he is a director that one day I will absolutely love one of his films. I still have a lot of uh, ad- admiration and deep respect because I think what he does is are movies that that aren't made a lot nowadays. They are they're very much these the, a, a guy being able to do his his own thing regardless of the budget. And even on this one, it is very much, even though it's it's a very big budget, a very big scale, it's very much a Robert Eggers movie. It's weird, it's different, it's dark, it's very well-researched and, and very specific. And and I admire that a lot. I don't think a lot of the aspects work, and maybe it's a little too long, but ultimately I still think it is a very towering achievement for, for him, and I, I highly recommend people go check it out. Just to experience something like that in a theater right now is pretty special. Cool. And we have a lot of big budget films to talk about, don't we? So let me let me ask you, are there any that you're absolutely dying to see? I know we got one coming out next week. I am I am interested in seeing the new Top Gun film. Okay. I know that that I, that one to me because I love that Tom Cruise keeps trying to kill himself for our pleasure. <laughs> And I think that that for all of us is is a, a treat, and that movie has been delayed for such a long time. The original Top Gun is is one of those staple action films of the '80s, and it's going to be premiering at the Cannes Film Festival. And I'm sure some of us might see it before, or definitely will all see it after that premiere. But it will it will be it's one of those like it's like Dune. It's like a lot of films that were delayed because of the pandemic. You know, we, we're going to finally get to experience that. And on a big screen, like that's the one thing you can say, you know, about Tom Cruise movies, let alone, you know, you can separate the man here from, from the films. His Mission Impossible films, this Top Gun movie, they have a sense of scope yeah. and the ability to want us to go and see it on the, on the giant screen the biggest screen possible with the loudest sound and everything. So I'm very much looking forward to that film. Yeah. So actually the original, that got originally announced in 2017 and then it got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And finally, five years later, we're going to be getting a new Top Gun. As a matter of fact, that's, so that leads me into a little shameless plug here myself. If you're listening to this, go check out Welcome to the 80s. Where Laura and myself talk about all of the great films that we thought about from the 80s. So, yeah, Top Gun, that comes out at the end of May. 
and that had a budget of about $150 million. Now, from what I read, according to The Hollywood Reporter, this shot over 800 hours of film, which is incredible. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an incredible amount of film. And this has a decent cast. I mean, of course, Tom Cruise being the lead. So if you had to ballpark it right now, I mean, I know we're about a month out. Opening weekend, what do you think this makes? You said it was a $165 million budget? Yeah, about 150 about 150. 150 okay i have a theory and i want to i just want to i have a theory of my own but i want to get your number yeah i think i think it's going to do maybe i'm being optimistic i think it's going to do about 55 million dollars which i still think is a pretty good opening weekend for that movie you know if you're not a marvel movie right now it, it is a crapshoot to figure out what you're going to get at the box office yes and so yeah. so i i was gonna say about 65 to 70 and the reason being is this is the first time so of course in a couple weeks of course the sequel to dr strange multiverse of madness comes out and that had a budget of 200 million but so that one and then you have you know top gun maverick you're going to have and then the next within that next two week period you're going to have jurassic world coming out I think this movie is not going to be one of those repeat movies that people... I mean, it might be, but I think it's going to be one of those things where people are going to... It's going to be a one-off. It's not going to be like a Doctor Strange or a Thor, and people are going to want to go back. So I think the repeat business is Doctor Strange is going to take away from the Top Gun. So... that's in, Yeah, I mean, that that is interesting. I mean, it will all depend. I see Doctor Strange Monday... Like most critics, because we're all seeing it at the same time, it's very yeah, much the world like, premiere on May second. Yep. Yeah, they're they're all, they're all doing it at the same time. It's very much like Avengers Endgame. They don't want to spoil a lot, and then this, they're using this as a, a giant platform for what is to come for their next phase. I I personally think that this movie has it. It's it's only two hours from what I'm under from what I understand. Two oh six. Yeah, the TRT is two oh six. Yeah, and which is which is actually you know given the fact that. No Way Home was over two and close to two and a half hours and everything. That actually plays really well for for Doctor Strange to have repeat viewings, in a, especially if it has a ton of Easter eggs and surprise cameos and its implications in the future. And I think that this movie's going to push us into, I guess, the next, next, next phase. I mean, there seems to be a hundred phases going on in the MCU right now. But I think that this one is this one's going to be big, and also too, you'll get a lot of the nostalgic people because it is Sam Raimi and it's been a while since we've seen him behind the camera. And, and so, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that, even though I'm not the biggest Marvel fan, I will say I'm looking forward to that for the Sam Raimi of it all, because I think he is one of those filmmakers that I grew up in and love pretty much all of his films. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody knows him from the Spider-Man trilogy. I mean, that, that goes without saying. So, but people don't really remember back in 1990, there was a little, little movie called Darkman that he directed. The Quick and the Dead back in 95 or 96, that had a huge cast. A very young Leonardo DiCaprio, Gene Hackman, Sharon Stone, you know. And if I, a movie that I, I thought and I enjoyed for the love of the game with Kevin Costner and Diane Lane, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, he, he definitely has the ability to do this. From what I've read and everything I've heard, this is going to be a crazy, 
crazy movie. And so do you think this is where the X-Men finally come in? Oh, wow. The X-Men. I think that, well, based off of the trailer, you'll at least have certain return of a character that we all Mm -hmm. know and love. But I don't know if necessarily this is where all the X-Men return. But I I definitely think that this will be the, the door to open that up, that to maybe even open up the Fantastic Four. Clearly, what is going to be, I think, the formula going forward for Marvel and I think is going to, you're going to see audience either get really tired of this very quick or it's going to tire us as reviewers and especially myself as a critic. Are the cameos going to be what gets us in the door or is the story going to get people in the door? Is No Way Home the model now for every new film? Because usually every five to ten years there's a movie that comes along and resets the market as to okay every movie is going to be made like that from now on is team up movies surprise cameos connective universes all that stuff i mean we know that the now once again delayed flash film is going to dabble into that as well you have this with this movie obviously no way home you have the crossover event even in another film that's coming out this summer in thor so which we'll get to in a few minutes. Go ahead. Yes. But no, it, it is just interesting to, to think that this is this is what happens in comic books. But just because something happens on the page doesn't mean that it translates 100% great on the screen. And so it'll be remains to see whether or not this is a smart move going forward. Yeah. Ryan, let me ask you something really quick here. I know, you know, you're a critic for a, for a vest genres not only you know marvel movies or action movies uh, it is so it's such a i feel like sometimes writing critics for movies is almost like writing about sports where you get a lot of heat comments and comes back right people <laughs> strongly disagree with you they think you're stupid or you don't know what you're talking about or they love you and they praise you do you think that writing about you know either marvel or dc there's a fan base more more passionate about it. Is it more challenging to write about those movies than other ones? It is. I think it is from the standpoint is that they're the most popular thing on the planet. So, of course, people want you to love what they love, right? I mean, we all want that. But you have to be honest with your critiques. And I say this as, as someone that I don't hate any Marvel film, I hate the machine and the I the what has happened to the industry because of Marvel. I don't hate the stories. I don't hate the characters. I don't hate the actors. You know, obviously the storytellers, even Kevin Feige, they are they're trying to do what is best and serve their fan base. And I get that. What I hate is is the fact that the passion for everyone seems to be focused on just these films and everything else seems to not have as much. And it's a, it's a question that I think has happened throughout many decades where, you know, Westerns and musicals way, way, way back when were such a, you know, a genre heavy thing that, you know, there were always a musical or always a John Wayne film or something like that way back in the classic days of Hollywood and we're just going through that phase now will that phase get tired because of cameos and things of that nature it remains to be seen but the content is still 
there's still a lot of stories to be told. There's a lot of still passion behind it. It's the number one most profitable thing. And then, you know, you 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 get into sort of the arguments of like, does it deserve awards merit? Should it have been not should Spider-Man have been nominated for a best picture? All these different things last year, right? And and it, it leads to all those conversations. But to me, as a critic, when I go and look at every film, whether it's a Marvel film, a DC film, you know, whether it's, you know, something from Michael Bay or, or, you know, someone that's the worst director ever that we all hate or someone that we all love. I go in trying to be as fair to it as I can. I mean, people don't think I'm the biggest comic book superhero fan out there. And yet one of my favorite films of this year is the Batman by Matt Reeves. And so, and I'm looking forward to Doctor Strange because I I love Sam Raimi. You didn't mention it, Dave, but I mean, the Evil Dead trilogy is one of my favorite trilogies of all time. And so I'm curious about certain things. I go and I have fun with these Marvel movies, and I think that their escapism at their highest. Do they have the most critical, I guess, like uh, underbelly and meaning to them? Probably not, but... You know, not everything has to be like that. You can switch off your brain for a little bit. I mean, shoot, Vin Diesel ma- and makes those Fast and Furious movies every other year, and I think that those movies are and that's the almost dumbest. a twenty billion dollar yeah yeah and those twenty are the billion dumbest, dollar <laughs> franchise right there exactly, and they're the dumbest fun you can have. I mean, I had a ridiculously dumb amount of time at at Fast Nine last year because I was just like, none of this makes sense, but. Of course it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the series hasn't made sense for like six films. I think Fast 10 is supposed to be going into space, isn't it? <laughs> well, the last one went to space. So I guess we're I guess we're going to go through the multiple. I don't know. Maybe going to Mars or something? I don't know, you know. So, but no, I I I think it I think if there is one fan base that is probably worse than the other, it, it and I sorry DC, but I think it is you because of the the whole Snyder you know, stuff. And, and I've had conversations with people that have written books about it and fan bases and this and that. And, you know, I just, I understand the passion behind it. I think it's when you take the passion and you turn it into vitriol and nastiness and bitterness. Like the world, it, it, yes, it's, it's, we live in such a toxic time. The negativity for so many things doesn't need to be there, you know, and you don't have to tear down, this franchise because you didn't like it or the Sony people not, you know, like thinking Morbius should have made more money or people hating on Brie Larson or this person or that person. It's like, just go to the movies, enjoy them. And if you don't just move on with your life, it's not, it's a, it's a two hour escape. It's not, it's not supposed to define you. So this is kind of an interesting question since you brought it up and we won't delve too much into it, but had Zack Snyder been able to finish Justice League, the way he wanted. Mm. Do you think there would have been as much backlash? Well, we wouldn't have had the scandals of we. I, I, I agree. So we would have never had the, the Snyder cut and whatever else. So we wouldn't. Well, I don't even know if we would have gotten the Snyder cut the yeah. way it was. I mean, and um, which is, I don't dislike the Snyder cut. I actually think yeah. it's 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 way better than yeah. what we got before, which yeah. isn't saying much, but yeah. Will the extended universe have continued? No, I don't think it yeah. would have. Yeah, uh, so, clearly now with the with the new Warner Brothers Discovery sort of merger, they would be going far. They're seeming to go far away from that whole brand of darkness and trying to do different things. So, so back to your point though about 
Marvel and that's what's making money. And you're absolutely right. I find that Hollywood has fads. And I mean, all you got to do is take a look at, let's say, five, six years ago when you had movies like Rocket Man come out, Bohemian Rhapsody, you had A Star is Born. I mean, you've got Elvis coming out this summer. So it's one of those things where, you know, even before that, there were boxing movies. You had Hands of Stone, you had Southpaw, whatever is mm-hmm. working right now, you run with it. Yeah. And so I think the superhero thing, it's so Marvel, in my opinion, does a couple of things right. And for what you were talking about earlier with the story, the story is so incredibly vital. All Marvel does is tweak it. I mean, great, you have the acting and you have the stars and everything else. But when you're able to get those things and, and mix it up just a little bit, and then you're able to put it on screen, I think that's when people really go for it. And the other thing is, too, you had really never seen before Marvel, and I just watched Iron Man the other day and I forgot how good it was, that it was one of those things where this is the first time in history that I can think of that you had a really a linear story and the payoff was almost 10 years later so yeah i I agree with you so to your point earlier about thor love and thunder that comes out on the 8th of july another big budget movie 185 million dollars so but yeah i mean it now it's just now since we're done with the whole infinity war saga it's more of let's see what's next type of thing in phase four so how did you like Jurassic Park movies? The new Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> Those are bad movies. So I, I'm I was not a. I think the first one I got we all got swept up in it because the Lost World and Jurassic Park Three are not good movies. They're horrible movies. And the new Jurassic World at least tried to do something different, even though that there are flaws within that film. It's a very entertaining film the first time I watched it. And then the second time it sort of, it dropped off in my estimation. The second one is just an abominable mess. It's so laughable. It's one of the worst blockbusters of the last decade, just because it doesn't know what it wants to be. And the, the poor directing and talent and the writing and everything, it's just a mess. And so now Trevorrow comes back to this after being kicked off of, Rise of Skywalker, which, I mean, it seems like he dodged a bullet there. <laughs> Definitely. But here's the thing, though. That movie made over a billion dollars. Yeah, but, you know, that was one pre-pandemic and two also, like, it's it's the quote-unquote last Star Wars movie, of course. It's- yeah, I, I agree with I do agree with you. I saw that twice. I saw it the first time, and I went back just to make sure. I went, oh, my God, this is horrible. Yeah, I've actually, over the last couple of years, I've been like, you know, I... I hate saying this. This is the first time I'll say this on on an actual show, so you you get an exclusive, I guess. Is that I think I think that Colin Trevorrow would have made a better Star Wars film than J.J. Abrams, and we should have deserved that version, and we never got it. And just based off of concept art alone and in loose screenplay, that would have I would have been so much more satisfied with that than the retconning that we got, but. He's coming back with this. It looks like it's trying to blend the past with the new generation and everyone's favorite Chris Pratt along with, you know, you know, Sam Neill and Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum and Dallas Bryce Howard. So it seems like this is now another 
end of a franchise, uh, maybe, hopefully, we pray to the Lord. But it looks like just a big, giant dinosaur spectacle. And so, I mean, it. I, I guarantee you it's going to make a lot of money because you're going to get kids to go see this thing. And uh, I, won't, I won't say it'll be like Doctor Strange level money, but it'll be... It'll probably be a hundred million dollars opening week. Oh, I think easily, easily, and just in the United States, domestic alone. Yeah, and so the next week, and it'll be interesting to see what happens the next week, because the next week a little movie is coming out that I think didn't really get a lot of press. It has gotten press, but I watched the, the final trailer for the first time today, and I loved it, and I can't wait to see this. And you know what I'm talking about, and it's Lightyear. Hmm. This. Looks great. Now, I, I'm a Pixar guy. I like Toy Story and I like, you know, a couple of their other movies. But this one looks fun. What did you what do you think about Lightyear? I think Lightyear looks like you're sort of down the middle, pretty good Pixar. I mean, you know, it it I I for one am not the biggest, hugest fan of Turning Red. I think it's a fine film. I think that people have, I think, I think here's the thing over the last couple of years with soul and Luca and in turning red is that Pixar has gone a little bit more simple in terms of their storytelling, even with toy story four, even with like Lightyear. these are simple stories. These are, re, you know, these are sequels or branch offs or just smaller stories. And they've kind of gone away from their sort of grand ideas of what made them so Huge. I mean, like The Incredibles and Ratatouille and, you know, Wally, for example, is, is, you know, to me, those are the three pinnacle and they have nothing to do with, you know, the Toy Story franchise. And even the Toy Story franchise two and three are, I think, superior because they start tackling some pretty grand ideas and grand emotions. And I liked I liked Luca and how it was stripped back. And I wish that that was on the big screen. And Something was missing for me to 100% connect with Turning Red. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just, I think it's fine. And I think Lightyear is going to be designed to do two things. One, make a ton of money off of the Toy Story franchise and subsequently make a ton of toy sales to go along with it. And I think it'll, I think it'll do pretty well because... We don't get a lot of animated movies. We haven't had a big animated movie. And you even look at like the Bad Batch this past weekend did pretty well in the face of the Northman and and the unbearable weight of a massive talent. That still dominated the box office. It's because, you know, the last couple of Pixar movies has refused to to go and take their way to the to the big screen. And yet you look at something like Encanto last year, it didn't like light up the box office, but it was it part of the culture you're damn right it was i mean shoot you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about bruno even though you're not supposed to talk about him so you know i think that Lightyear, i think you got captain america playing buzz Lightyear. that's that's all you need to do to market yeah I was, I was gonna say that when you get chris evans to do that you know i mean that's all you need right there did you have a question yeah, no, I just because he said, you know, we don't see a grand idea in Pixar, but I feel like it's the same for for Hollywood in general, actually. And I, I was talking to this professor from London Business School, and he just released a book not too long ago where he said 
we're we're about to see if we're in a if it, creativity is a cycle and we're just in the lower end of the cycle, or if we actually get into what he calls the stagnation era. Basically, he's saying all the great ideas are gone or pretty much mediocre from now on. And honestly, like if you look to Hollywood, I mean, it's kind of like Jurassic Park again, and you know another cameos from Marvels and DCs and all those things, and it feels like. Nothing really amazing is coming out, you know, but at the same time, we have some foreign movies like really surprised, like Parasite was a hit when it came to America. I, I'm a huge fan of Argentinian movies as well. Honestly, I'm my attention is going away from America for a while. But I want to hear from you if you think also there is some kind of stagnation or maybe it became just a move, a money making thing. So it, the passion is not even there anymore. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And that's really the question of our time right now, right? Is that why is it that movies like Mad Max Fury Road or even the Mission Impossible films, which I do think require a ton of creativity to push the envelope forward to surprise an audience, right? That's why I think Top Gun is the one for me this year because... You have Macquarie, you have who's writing the film, but you have Tom Cruise who's always trying to push the envelope. And the problem is, is that it's this thing that I've noticed over the last couple of years is that we don't have movie stars driving things forward. We have properties moving things forward. It's, it's the things on the Monopoly board as opposed to the, the cars themselves and the pieces. And to me... You know, I don't know what a modern day movie star looks like. You know, I on Acting Out, my podcast, we, we're talking about Tom Hanks and his career. And you see a trajectory of someone who is not only gets awards, you know, two Oscars, but also can do animated, but can do dramas, can do comedies, can do action films, can do spectacles, can do all these things. And they all make money. And why is that? It's because... He's Tom Hanks, and he's built a career, and audiences trust him. There aren't a lot of celebrities nowadays that people trust. And if they are, they're all 50 years old, you know? And, but and I so that's actually a bad thing, because coming back to the sport scenario, I remember I interviewed Leo Messi. I don't know if you guys are a huge fan of soccer. Yes. And oh, know I, know who, I know who Messi is, yes. So you know who Messi is. And I remember at that time I was talking to him and to a few of the leaders of Barcelona. He was playing for them at the time. And they were basically saying, doesn't matter how huge Messi is, he's never going to be bigger than, than Barcelona. And I think that's really important because coming from a country where players get bigger than the team that they're playing, I love the fact that we don't have a face for a movie star because it's, then it's just, you know, like I want to hear a good story with good characters. I feel like... I don't know. Euphoria was a great surprise for me. I feel that I feel like the acting is amazing in some other series, too. You can see amazing acting that you wouldn't expect. I don't know if it, I miss the, the big star thing. It's like, just give me a good story. In coming back again, Parasite, I never heard about any of those actors before. I don't even know how to pronounce their name, but I felt it was a great movie with a great casting. Yeah, right? Yeah, but I think I think the thing about movie stars is on the big scale level. It used to be where movie stars got big things financed and big properties. Even I, I use this a lot is that 
you know, big directors' names can only get them so far, right? Like, I, I love Spike Lee. He's one of my favorite directors of all time. Spike Lee has never had a $100 million budget. The one time he had a grand budget, he had Denzel Washington as his lead, and that was Malcolm X. And he had to go around and beg for for the funds to finish the project. But the number one selling point he had is I have Denzel Washington as Malcolm X. I don't have Joe Schmo who, you know, or Joe Schmo character actor. I have Denzel Washington, a bankable star. The problem is, is that nowadays those creative stars like, you know, like Hanks, right? Leo, like Julia Roberts, like Meryl Streep, like all these actors that have made hey, you know, have made ways for years. They're not making the big tentpole films anymore because other actors are. Like, you look at somebody like Chris Hemsworth. I love Chris Hemsworth. I think he's a very funny guy. It seems like a very, he's very good looking. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong about Chris Hemsworth. But if you take him outside of Thor, look at his career. There's not a really a lot of success that goes along in it. You look at Tom Holland. Uncharted doesn't make the money it makes if Spider-Man isn't good, if it doesn't make the hundreds of millions of dollars. And so that's where it's a lot of it it is right now. It is that guy played Spider-Man, so let's greenlight the series. And that shouldn't what it be like. It should be about the actors. It should be about taking the chances. I mean, like, you know, Michelle Yeoh, for example, she was in one of the biggest films of its year in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It It made her a Bond Girl, it made her an overnight sensation, you know, and it's taking those kind of chances and those kind of risks. And they're not willing to do that anymore because, you know, some films don't make the Marvel franchises and the superhero movies. They're sure bets. And it's and I I think that, you know, it's going to take someone. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's these streamers. Maybe it's a, a studio. I think Warner Brothers is the one studio that does it. Because you look at them, they're able to, they're able to have a Batman movie and their DC universe, as well as finance something like Dune, which didn't make all of its money back, but still made four hundred million dollars, and then do things like King Richard and do all these that didn't make the money that they thought it would, but still was a, a very well, you know, received film for them, and they're the one of the only traditional studios left, and it's interesting because like. Everyone poo-poos or makes fun of Oppenheimer right now, but Oppenheimer is a $100 million budget movie right now that no other studio is willing to make and give a director full control, and the lead actor, Killian Murphy, is not a superstar, but it, the director is, and that's how you got to use your power. Yeah, and by the way, that, that cast, that supporting cast that's coming on, I, I don't know their names off the top, that's a big supporting cast. I mean, it's gone are the days where, you know, in the summer we used to get big films, big dramatic films where something like a Forrest Gump or a Titanic or things like that are really, you know, they're not original, you know what I mean? But but they feel original to audiences. They feel like a a creative team with the actors and everything. But Ryan, did you think that... a big name, a big actor name is also a golden cage, meaning that, yes, they can attract a bigger funding and bigger investment. But at the same time, mm-hmm. their paycheck is outrageous most of the yes. time. Oh, inflation's gone up. 
Yes, yeah. exactly. And, you know, especially if it's a risky movie, they always charge more for that. And they come with a lot, too. They want their own maybe team and their own trailer. And they so it's like, yes, you get a bigger check, but your expenses are also way higher. True. But I think that for me, that's part of the risk that they're not willing to take. And it's what's driving me nuts is that you got to take the risks. Sometimes not everything is going to be. The problem is, is that Marvel has ruined it for risk because everyone sees those how many ever films in a row it made billions of dollars. Right. And they see the billions. And the problem is, it's like, no, it's OK. When when did when did making a two hundred million dollar profit on a film become such a bad thing? It It really has become like a faux pas. And I agree with you, like Parasite. It's a ginormous hit. People don't talk about like that because they think, oh, it's just because it was everybody loved it or whatever. It's like, no, that was an international sensation. Something like, I think of another film that claimed the zeitgeist, Get Out. Get Out is another film where that movie's made for $5 million and looks better than some movies that are made for $200 million. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the approach of a studio. It's the approach in confidence that they give story makers as well as also giving talent, you know, and say what you want. We are living in the bright moments of auteurism, I think, right now. We're having this swing back around where foreign language films are having their day. Like, I mean, a movie like Drive My Car last year is such a momentum swinger because that movie was from a, a nothing studio. Parasite was from Neon, which was at the time not considered a big studio. So the smaller studios, yes, are where the substance is at. The problem is, it's like when you get to then like the Oscars or when you get to Joe Schmo on the street when they're coming to see movies during the summer, you know, they, they don't want to see these films and then they get confused, like, well, why the fall takes all the places of, of these other films? And it's like, no, you had your Transformers and your Jurassic Worlds and all that stuff like that was for you. And this can live in the same world. And the fact that, like, we can't live in harmony with that is ridiculous. And so I hope, you know, like, I think that, you know, what Denis did last year with Dune is is an, a massive achievement to to make something like that. I hope other directors are able to do something like that, even though like, I know not everyone loved tenant. I hope that people in studios would have the, the cojones to freaking give somebody that kind of control, give female directors, directors of color, you know, that kind of control. Yes, exactly. Because it happens to a lot of white guys and they get to fail. Yeah. I mean, we actually spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, actually. So that is among one of the biggest problems of, of Hollywood is the lack of female directors. And you have... I mean, the can lineup is, exact, is exactly that. I mean, the can lineup for the Palme d'Or this year, they announced that you know they want to do a 50-50 split. And yet of like the 19 films or 16 films that are up for the Palme d'Or, there are only three women. There are no people, barely any people of color. It's like, yeah. give me a break, you know? Yeah, no. And and so, I mean, you, you have a few. I mean, she had brought up uh, Greta Gerwin, which who did Little Women, and that was a great success. And then, I mean, the most recognizable name, well, I mean, most people know is Patty Jenkins. And guess what? She did a superhero movie. 
And so, I mean, without Wonder Woman making a billion dollars. Chloe, Chloe Zhao, she wins an Oscar. What does she do? Yeah, she goes to Eternals. So I will say one thing, though. The uptick of women directors is starting to come up. Now, you just had Jane Campion win for The Power of the Dog. So I've always said once, okay, twice is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. I think if you see in next year's Oscars, if you, I think if a woman wins Best Director next year, I think the tide's turning. I think this is they coming out. I think the tide would turn more for me if... I mean, two out of the three women that have won Best Director are white women. White women are doing just fine. It's women of color. It's men of color. I mean, the Academy is about to be very soon to be 100 years old, and there has not been a single black person that has ever won Best Director. I want you to think of that. That's 100 years of Oscars, 100 years of celebrating. Barely have had 10 directors nominated. I've never had a director nominated multiple times for best director that was African-American or black. And we've had Moonlight. We've had 12 Years a Slave win, but they did not win best director. Those That went to Alfonso Cuaron and that went to Damien Chazelle. And so, you know, it. and then, you know, the year that like Black Panther and Black Klansmen, you know, two films of their time to movement films to i mean black panther was literally a phenomenon it goes to roma and i have no problem with roma i i like roman i like alfonso Cuarón a lot but he has two and the african-american the black community have none and then you even think about women of color they've especially black women they've never been nominated for best director so you know you can check off the the boxes but it even goes like to the to the can argument. You can have women there, but if they're also just white women, you're not really then actually even getting further into diversity and talking about that. And that's why I think like you you look at some of these giant blockbusters and some of these giant superhero films, there needs to be more of that push, you know, because Patty Jenkins, she she gets to have three Wonder Women, and that's great. But where's like, where's the next wave of young creative talent who could take something like Wonder Woman and and create their own world out of it? And I know that Patty Jenkins took her forever to make a film and 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 she made a billion dollar movie. So she had every right to do that. And I'm not saying to take away. I'm saying like, you know, where's where's the next step? Yeah. So I guess I guess the question then becomes, we know we established the problem. And what you were just saying, how does it get corrected then? Do you nominate a woman? Ever, you know, it has to be. I hate to use the you know NFL rule where they have to interview one black coach every single year. It's not about that. It's it's about having them in the co- in the conversation. You got to have them in the conversation. Beginning. So how do you and in their hands too, so they can create their own movies, right? Yeah, you need to give them as much as like I love, you know, David Fincher and. Steven Spielberg and the Coen brothers and Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino and Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve. Do you want me to keep going? Because I can keep going with the same men who get creative 100% cut of final cut of their films. And the reason why everyone should, you know, and I get, look, Sean Hedder just won 
It's, it's first time ever we've had back-to-back films from a woman directed. You know, we had Coda, and then but year before we had Nomadland, and we're making improvements. And it's not about, it's not about like, oh, should we check off a woman every single year? Oh, is it about hitting, you know, a certain mark? About it? no, it's not about that. It's about having fair amount of representation. It's also about not just putting it down as okay, only this woman can get nominated. Having the the ability to say like. You know, like last year, we all knew Jane was going to get nominated. But the idea of not having someone like, you know, Rebecca Hall in the conversation for passing or having Julia Ducarneau or having Celine Sciamma for, for a portrait or now even like Petit Maman, having multiple directors be a part of the conversation. You can't just, you know, because every year. You look at predictions every single year. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, it'll it'll be Scorsese and it'll be Chazelle and it'll be uh, Spielberg. And it's like like and then why, why aren't we looking deeper? Like, why aren't we looking at like Sarah Pauly or why aren't we looking at, you know, various other female directors as well that could that could come in there and take over these spots from the standard men that are always there? And, and look, I love their films. I love everyone's films. But let's be honest is that when we talk about someone like Colin Trevorrow, who made a terrible film in the Book of Henry, and not only then got taken a Star Wars away, but then was handed back over the Jurassic World franchise, that's failing up. That's not failing down. And yet, like, you know, people got all over Patty Jenkins about Wonder Woman, the second Wonder Woman, and people got all over Chloe Zhao about, you know, Eternals, and it's the worst you know, reviewed Marvel film ever, which is dumb. And you just sit there and you go like, what are we doing? So sorry. Now we've, we've gone on complete tangents. No, 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 no. And and this is why, but see, this is why we wanted somebody like you on because you're giving us a completely different take and opinion of the industry. And you, you know what, Ryan, you're absolutely right. And this is the stuff that it, no, no, you are, you're, you're right. Because this is the stuff that doesn't get talked about. This is the stuff that's the elephant in the room, okay? And nobody wants to hear about it. So, but do you guys think that Oscar has... We see it a lot in the Muse Universe contest, right? So when the first black woman was elected, the first Asian woman was elected, there are so many people saying they just won because they were black or because they were Asian or because they are this or just because this happened. Basically, what I'm trying to say is we have a standard of beauty that we all know is eurocentric. The blonde, blue-eyed girl is pretty much what everyone thinks is pretty out there, or the majority we will consider pretty, right? So then some people are claiming that those prizes, they're filling up a social role, which I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just asking if maybe the Oscars should do the same and we should look at it as the same. Because the Oscar, as far as I know, is like, A lot of people that are part of the academy get an envelope and then they vote. It's not, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of white men. So that's why there's always a Jew in the running to be one of the best in something or whatever. Do you think there is the case that Oscar should be also, so there has to take in consideration a social aspect to it? But they've always been a social aspect. I mean, they've always been political. They've always been about the times in which they speak. And the time is now that we are, as an audience, demanding to see what is now buying the tickets represented on screen. And so... Beautiful. I, I think that 
when people say, oh, I want a Spider-Man, Spider-Man's not sitting in the audience. You know who's sitting there? Latinos, Asians, women, you know, people, you know, not just a 40, not just 85 year old men. Okay. And look, I love Martin Scorsese. I love him. I love Steven Spielberg. I love him. They're, they're giants. They're pioneers, you know, but they're not the only people that make movies. They're not the only people that have ever made movies. You know, that's why I do love Martin Scorsese because he's always championing other people's work. And he's always working with Criterion and others to showcase films that have forgotten and restoration and to remember classic cinema as well as modern cinema. And I think that it's not about filling a quota. It's not about checking off a box. It's about relating and seeing the movies. A movie like Moonlight is not checking a box. It is about a movie that moved you to your core, that made you as a person go, my God, that is the best thing I've seen this year. And that should be like that every year. Now, it doesn't always happen like that. I don't think it happened this past year. But every year is its own year and encapsulated within its own thing. But you have to be able, as a studio, big studio, small studio, be able to give voice to just about everyone and let the creatives create the projects that they want in their own vision. The minute studio interference happens, that's when authenticity is gone. And we all know this. That's when an audience is gone. Because if they can't feel and see and emote with laughter or with tears or whatever, then you're just making a blank canvas. And I personally think that for to wrap this back into blockbuster filmmaking, that's what we need to get back to. It's not a, because what Marvel is doing is, is effective now, but ultimately in the long run, it's empty calories because in 20, 30 years, you're not going to show, at least I'm not, I don't know about y'all with your kids, but I'm <laughs> not going to sit down for six weekends and show them every single Marvel movie Till I'm brown and you know, till I'm blue or brown in the face, you know what I mean? And I'm about to keel over. I'm gonna show them, I'm gonna show them Mad Max Fury Road. I'm gonna show them, you know, I'm gonna show them the original Lord of the Rings. I'm gonna show them uh, the original Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm gonna show them the original Brendan Fraser mummy, things that I grew up with. And what do all those have in common? They have practical effects, they don't lean on CGI. They do things that make you go, wow. Kind of like what audiences were like back in 1977 when they saw the first original Star Wars. It wasn't about like Darth Vader and all this other shit. It was about seeing something that they'd never seen before being taken to a galaxy far, far away. The problem now is, is that as much as, you know, with these franchises, they're checking off boxes to get to an endpoint to get a billion dollars. That shouldn't be the point of it. It should be about moving an audience and getting them to not want to receive it because they got to see that cool cameo again, wanting to receive it because they want to find more meaning to it. And that's what I think. So, you know, that's why Elvis will be the greatest movie of all time. No, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> hey, he was one of the greatest rock stars of all time. So, you know, no, it's but, between but, it's between right now. It's 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 big budget blockbusters like that, and then biopics, and they always yeah. sell. And, and like I said, the, there's fads, and you know, right now it's comic book movies, and it's you know, before that it was musicals, and before that, so you know, it really getting back to one. I know you're a westerns guy. And I don't know if this is going to get made. I like the sequel myself. It's called Guns 3 to Billy the Kid. Do you think Emilio Estevez is actually going to come back and make Young Guns 3? Oh, God, I hope not. Because like, we, don't, we don't need... We don't need we don't, here's the thing. We don't need sequels every single... No, game, I know. So. so that's actually a... And I did a podcast a while back. It was called Reboots, Remakes, and Sequels. And that's what drives Hollywood. But this is I so I looked on IMDb and this says it's expected August third. Now we're in May already, so either this isn't going to happen, or one hopes not, or this was just a publicity stunt. It probably is just a publicity stunt because I've not heard a single damn thing about it. So. Yeah. So, but it's it's one of those things. Well, I mean, the blockbuster and getting back to your point about Star Wars, though, that was really the one of the first major blockbusters of its time. That in Jaws. That Jaws in 75, and, and I remember being two going to see Star Wars with my grandmother. But it was just one of those things where that movie changed, fundamentally changed cinema for four or five reasons. Number one, you never had a story like that before. It had the ability to put sci-fi and comedy and action adventure and all of these different attributes into one story number two is the music i mean you could go anywhere anywhere in the world and when you hear that music you know it's star wars number three ilm was invented you know which you wouldn't have jurassic park you wouldn't have the avengers you wouldn't have hundreds of movies you would today number four is the pop culture you know i mean with all the you know space balls or whatever and then number five just based off the money it made he was able to do all these other things so, but that was really the, the first blockbuster. Anyways, yeah, I mean, that, so, so I guess the moral of the story is this. Blockbusters are not what they used to be. And they have to fundamentally get back to people wanting to go to watch a movie, not because of their favorite star or because it's going to make a billion dollars, but because they like the movie. And they're willing to pay the money. And I think the other thing to take away from this, too, is there has to be more diversity. And I mean, a couple of years ago, you had the uh, few people wanted to boycott because there was not one African-American nominated for a major Oscar. Not one. And, and there's plenty of talent out there. So either A, they're not getting the funding, or B, what's going on? So... There's no question the Academy has a lot of work to do. And they can go and make their museums. It's not just the Academy, though. It's Hollywood. No, absolutely. But it's it's not an and, and that's what people. The one thing I will push back on. People always think that this is an Academy problem. The Academy does not make a single damn movie. It is the studios. It is Hollywood is an executives. Those people are the ones that are responsible for what is made every single year, what is released, what is pushed out by audiences. The Academy, all they can do 
is based off the movies that are released, nominate what is in front of them. That's really yeah. all what they can no, do. They, yeah. have, no. they don't even they don't even have control over their own television show because abc cuts categories from their own show that's a whole other we won't even yeah, get that's into a whole that. other ball game but what i'm saying is is that that the academy has no real sway so when people always got angry with the academy it's like no don't get angry with the academy get angry with hollywood that these are the few choices you have to get in there and they don't fit the box that usually yeah. gets in there to begin with so Get mad at the studios because, yeah. like, I love, I mean, we all love, like, A24, but, like, let's be honest, those guys make a lot of movies for white people. Just just a fun fact here, Ryan, not something that, it's not new to anyone or surprising, just a story to share. I have a very good friend who is the manager of a very nice hotel here in Los Angeles, and recently they had a buyout for a big streaming company where all the big executives would make the, the decisions for, for the next calendar year, right? So every show, everything would be defined during those uh, meetings. It was a three or four days meeting. There was not one woman, and there was only one black guy. Yeah. That's, that's, that's Hollywood. Yeah. See, they got, they got their diversity in there. What are you talking about? You know I mean? <laughs> Everyone's like, white. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's the truth. That's the yeah. only way it changes is at the top. That's the same with everything. That's politics. That's, you know, you know, religious organizations, corruption, you name it. It starts at the top. Look at the top. Don't look at like the side organization, you know, like, you know, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, when like you get mad at the kids that are that are out there, like part of the soccer team. Right. And then they're handing out awards at the end. They're like, oh, let's get mad at like. Let's get mad at like the the honor like the honors awards. Like no, get mad at the parents. Those are they're at the top. Like you know, get yeah. mad at the adults in the damn room. You know, what I mean that's that's what it normally is. Well, you know the funny thing about the Oscars is, and I totally agree with you. That's a whole other podcast for another time. But so they wanted to anybody who doesn't know what Ryan was talking about, they ABC cut seven or eight categories that weren't major categories. Okay, they were technical categories, and instead of having the Oscar winners walk up on stage, they just cut to them receiving the award. Well, they did this six or seven or eight times, and they wanted a three-hour show. The show was three hours and 45 minutes. It was still 45 minutes too long. And not only that, from what I understand, if you go on YouTube, and I don't know this to be true or false, but if you go on YouTube, there is a, some of the acceptance speeches have been totally eliminated. Yeah. But anyway, beyond that, there's movies coming out in the summer. Yeah, know? no, absolutely. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Before, before we move on to another topic, I just want to ask Ryan something. What do you think? Like, I remember when Frances McDormand got her Oscar, she said about the inclusion writer, right? Like, to so you think that actors and actresses might be a drive of change because if they sign contracts, dude, you have to do something about it, right? No, for sure. I mean. Well, Frances McDormand, she did that, and then she she basically yeah. got her own production company started, and and others, and then she went from that to winning an Oscar for a best producer and getting Nomadland financed. So that that's putting your money where your mouth is, and literally yeah. putting your own. You know, that's why I say that someone like Frances McDormand, she's in her sixties. You know what I mean? Like people using she's the still white, but yeah. 
yeah, yeah. No, I mean she's still great. I have, I have, I have no problems with Francis. But what I'm saying is, is that is what I was talking about earlier with having movie stars is that they're able to push a needle to get things made, to get things done because people know them. You know what I mean? They're, you know, now it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it, you know who Tom Hanks was, you know, who Francis McDormand is. Everybody knows who Francis McDormand is, but like nowadays it's, it's kind of getting harder and harder. And that puts a lot more on the studios and people don't ever get mad at the studios. They get mad at like, I don't know, a director or an actor. And it's like, no, y'all, y'all need to get mad at the damn studio. Get mad at them. Like they're the, they're the real problem. You wanted them to have the, the force to, to make all these changes, go and go knock at their door and, and see if, if things get done. But I don't know, man. And you know, I say all this, but then Jordan Peele's got a movie coming out in the summer, and maybe that you know, and and for me like that that I I always I always keep forgetting that Nope is coming out because like you barely see anything, and that's kind of how I like it. See, that's that's how it's supposed to be. You don't know much about it. You go into the movie, you get super excited. You know it's a Jordan Peele joint. You go in there and you enjoy the hell out of something that's going to be try to be bold and original. That's great. You know, like being there the night of the premiere at South by Southwest back in 2019 to see us, that was an event. Like that was a moment. And then that movie made money and that movie got memed and that movie got gave us this great performance from Lupita Nyong'o and all this different stuff. That's the kind of stuff right there, too, because he went from a five million to like, I think, a 20 million. Now it's like a 50 million dollar budget. So he's built over time. That should be the model for everyone, not going from a small indie to a Marvel movie. You know what I mean? Because that's because now everybody can't wait to see this. I mean, what do you guys think? Are you guys looking forward to Nope? You got to be. right. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm Jordan Peele is probably one of the best, most underrated filmmakers right now today in our time as far as psychological thrillers and, and, you know, how he does things. And there are not a lot of great filmmakers like him out there. So the answer to your question is yes, I'm absolutely looking forward to this. I mean, yeah, you have your blockbusters, which we've talked about, but there are these small other little movies like a note is going to be very, very big. And it's going to be interesting to see what how this opens, because. I think it's going to do really, really well for the time. And I hope that people go out and see this. And it's not just he's earned, Jordan Peele has earned everything he's gotten. Everything. He started with a $5 million budget for Get Out, and now it's 10 times that. And I can only imagine what he's going to put together for this. So, yeah, no, this, this, is, this has been a blast. I know you probably have to get going. We could probably do this for hours. But I really, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this because this is, this is my passion. This is her passion. And I know it's your passion because, and you're right on all your points. And I look forward to reading all your articles and listening to all your podcasts. And just before we wrap up, tell us, tell everybody where they can find you again in case they missed it before. 
Well, you can find my work over at Awards Watch, In Session Film, Film Speak. You can listen to me at the Extra Film Podcast for In Session Film. You can hear me on the Acting Out Podcast with myself and Mitchell Beaupre. You can hear the new Awards Watch podcast every Monday over at awardswatch.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at Ryan McQuaid 77 And thank you both so much for having me on. This was an absolute bust. I could not, I did not expect this conversation to turn exactly where this was, but that's kind of the beauty of it. And, and it was a very rich conversation, and you both are, are very, very generous hosts. And I thank you. Thank you very much. And you're absolutely welcome to come on anytime. I mean, so, you know, just I follow you on Twitter. I hope you follow me. And, you know, we'll definitely I'm definitely going to see you when you speak. I got to follow both of you. Gotta yeah. Follow both of you. Yeah. I definitely uh, will be in your spaces and, you know, we'll chat then. So for David Steele. Elora Zane here. And the great... Ryan McQuaid, you have been listening to Real Talk.